Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. Good to have you with us again. I always appreciate our Facebook uh, audience. If you get a chance, hit the share button there at the bottom. Let everybody know that we're on the air and uh, maybe somebody can get something out of this word tonight. I'm going to be teaching from one of Brother Hagen's many books called In Him. And Brother Hagen encouraged us to read this through, uh, through the New Testament, primarily the epistles. Uh, and they're the letters that are written to us as individual believers, and they're also written to the church. Uh, they're more or less letters of instruction. And uh, he said, as you read uh, the epistles, look for all the expressions such as in Christ, in him, in whom, through whom, and so on. And then he said to underline or highlight these expressions. And there's approximately 140 such expressions in the New Testament. And like I said, most of them are in the epistles, our instructions to be good Christians and how to live a Christian life. And some of these don't exactly tell you something that you have in Christ, but the majority of them do. You'll find some uh, other scriptures which convey the same message, but they don't have the specific phrases in him or in whom or anything like that. Yet they tell you who you are and what you are or what you have or have become because you're in Christ. And uh, in Christ scriptures are so very important because uh, we're fleshly carnal beings, but when we were born again, we were given a, a, renew, a new spirit and a new nature. And uh, we have to find out through the word who God says that we are in Christ. And so it's important that we study these scriptures, learn who we are, get our identity. And Brother Hagin told us to write these scriptures down, meditate on them, and, be, and then begin to confess them and say, this is who I am, this is what I have, this is what I am, and this is what I have in Christ. Uh, we used to hold our Bibles up in church and we make this confession, you know. I am what the Bible says I am, I can do what the Bible says I can do, and so on. And it was just a good confession to make. And I know, uh, you know, Christians are big on confessions, but our faith is actually called the Great Confession. And, you know, the Bible is a legal document, and it's sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. But it is your believing and your confessing fessing what is what makes it a reality to you. And God wants us to enjoy and know the reality of what he has provided for us in Christ, and his word tells us how to do it. Everything that the Bible says is ours and it's not only ours but it's ours legally because it is a legal document it is a testament and it is uh, signed and sealed in the blood of jesus christ it's ratified with the blood of jesus christ and most people don't realize it but our confession our confessions actually direct our lives and uh, remember jesus said in uh, mark eleven twenty three, he says that we will have whatsoever we say then say we'll have what he says. It says we'll have what we say. It has to be what we believe and what we confess that becomes a reality. And uh, when we use the word confession, most people think of uh, confessing sin. And of course, that's a part of it. 
And when we were kids, I can remember my brother Jim and I used to go to catechism on a Wednesday night for instructions on the Catholic faith. And, and then afterwards, we'd go to the church and uh, we'd get in a confession booth and confess our sins to a priest. Just This is so that we could have communion on Sunday, receive communion on Sunday. And the idea was to go to confession so that you could receive communion with a clean soul on Sunday. Now, I can't speak for my brother Jim, but it never really worked too good for me. Uh, let me put it this way. Uh, we should have had confession on Sunday morning if they wanted me to have a, a clean soul in Mass 15 minutes later. Uh, from Wednesday to Sunday, it was kind of hard to do it. And there was a few Sundays I actually had to skip confession. But that's in my past now. I'm a new creation. I'm a new creature in Christ. So that's all behind me now. But anyway, the Bible does say if we confess our sins, that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness in 1 John 1 and 9. But there's another side to confession. The Bible has much more to say about the confession of our faith and uh, speaking what we believe than it does about the confession of our sin. As an example, we see that God has provided the new birth for us. And uh, his word tells us how that... Uh, provided uh, salvation becomes a reality to us. Uh, it's not automatic. Uh, Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth or speak with your mouth the Lord Jesus or that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So there's a precondition for salvation. You got to believe in your heart and speak with your mouth that Jesus Christ is not only Lord, but he's your Lord. And then in verse 10, it says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So we start out by believing in the heart, and then when we confess it with our mouth, uh, we can put it this way, your tongue or your mouth is the trigger for the faith that's in your heart. You got to have both. You got to believe in your heart and you have to confess with your mouth. It can't be one or the other. So when you believe in your heart and you confess it with your mouth, you pull the trigger on your faith and that thing that you're believing and confessing becomes a reality. Whether you felt anything or not, when you believed in your heart that Jesus was Lord and you wanted to make him Lord over your life and then you spoke that out of your mouth, it became a reality in your spirit. You became born again. You became a new creature in Christ, a new person. And this is confessing Jesus. In other words, we believe with our heart and with our mouth, we confess or speak what we believe, that Jesus is Lord. And Jesus purchased that salvation on the cross at Calvary, and it became a reality when he was raised from the dead. You know, he paid the price for sin on Calvary, but the proof of the pudding is in the eating, as Brother Hagin used to say. And that uh, eating was the resurrection. Our salvation wasn't uh, secured until Jesus was raised from the dead. And that's when our salvation became a, re a reality. And Jesus will never have to do that again. He's already done it. The provision has been made over 2,000 years ago. And everything that was in him went into us and becomes a reality when we believe it and we confess it with our mouth. He purchased eternal redemption for us, and he shed his blood to pay for it. And people say all the time, I remember when I got saved, and uh, it was on Sunday and such and such a date at a certain time, and 
That's great. I can remember when I got saved. And, uh, but in actuality, you were saved over 2,000 years ago when Jesus rose from the dead. After he paid the price of sin and he rose from the dead, that's when you were saved. It just became a reality on that particular Sunday morning because you confessed that you were in him and he was your Lord. And, and so we just read Romans 10, 10. It told us how we obtained the reality of salvation for our lives. It said, with the heart, one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Now that word righteousness actually means right standing. So in other words, uh, we believe in our heart that through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we were placed back into right standing with God the Father. Our righteousness had been restored. And, and uh, we uh, believe that in our heart. We confess it with our mouth. And it becomes a reality. Like I said, whether you feel it or not, it is a reality. You have to accept it by faith. And he also healed us at the same time. He justified us. He made us righteous. He restored us. He gave us victory. He delivered us. He preserved us. He pardoned us. He restored us. He made us whole and he gave us soundness of mind. As a matter of fact, everything that he wanted to do for us, he did on Calvary over 2,000 years ago. And like I said, he's never going to have to do that again. He did it once and for all. And he wants all of those benefits to be a reality in our lives. And some people might wonder, well, why didn't he just put that in us when we were born? Well, because uh, we have to be involved in that. He, he doesn't impose anything on us. He doesn't force anything on us. We have to accept it freely. It's a gift from him, and he doesn't force you to take, take this gift. I insist that you take this gift. No, he can't do that. He won't do that. It's something that he offers, and you receive it. You believe it in your heart and you confess it with your mouth, and you make it a reality in your life. God is a gentleman. The Holy Ghost is a gentleman. He won't force himself or impose himself on anybody. But all the things that God wants in you, this is how brilliant and how smart God is. And you might not agree with me, but God is smarter than you. And all the things that he wanted in us, he put into Christ. So when you accept Christ and he comes into you, Everything that is in Christ comes into you at the new birth. You may not have known it. You didn't realize it at the time. That's why we have to get in prayer and fellowship. That's why we have to go to church. That's why we have to read the word of God to find out who we are in Christ and what's the benefits of being in Christ. And these things become a reality in our life when we believe and we confess. And it's always with the heart that a person believes. That's where faith is generated, is in the heart. And, and it's produced in our heart. And with our mouth, we, we make our confession unto salvation, unto healing, unto prosperity, unto righteousness, unto whatever it is that, that we want from the Word of God. We believe it in our heart, confess it with our mouth, and it becomes a reality. Now, it might not become a reality the first time you say you believe it. It might not become a reality the first time that you confess it with your mouth. But if you keep believing, you keep confessing, then it will eventually become a reality to you. And it will be. And nobody can talk you out of it. It'll be so in your heart and you'll know it. And, and when you believe a thing in your heart and confess it with your mouth, it will become so real to you that you can't get talked out of it. And faith's confessions create 
realities. And this is why it's so important that we know who we are in Christ. This is why it's so important that we have a, a, a set of values and, and a, be, a belief system that's based on the Word of God. So number one, we're believing the right things. And then number two, when we confess, we'll be confessing the right things. If you believe a wrong thing, you're going to confess a wrong thing. And people do this all the time. But as you read some of the in Christ, in him, in whom scriptures, they won't seem real to you at first because they're way up there. You know, it's way above our carnal way of thinking or way above our uh, natural self. And, and it may not seem as though you really have what these scriptures say that you have in him. But, you know, for example, the Bible says that we're seated together with Christ in heavenly places. I'm telling you, that would blow your mind. How could I be seated together with Christ in heavenly places? Why? Because you're in him and he's in you. He came into you when you got born again and you entered into him when you were born again. So in that aspect, in the spiritual realm, we are seated in heavenly places with Christ. That's hard to, that's hard to even imagine. What a, a lofty position that is to be seated together with him in heavenly places. In his heavenly home, we're seated there with him. Now, that's hard to grasp, and it might not become a reality to you when you first read it or confess it, but I'm telling you, you keep believing it, keep confessing it, and you'll eventually realize that there, that is your position in the Spirit, and you'll accept it as a reality. And again, no one will be able to talk you out of it. Hallelujah. But if, if you begin to believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, uh, and because you do believe God's word in your heart, this is mine, this is who I am, this is what I have, then it will eventually become a reality to you. Now, it's already real in the spirit realm. Like I said, we're seated together with Christ in heavenly places in the spirit realm, but we want it to become real in the physical realm, and it will someday. We will actually live with Christ, and we'll live with him in heavenly places. We'll be seated with him in, in heavenly places. We'll sit at his feet and be taught for all eternity. And, and this is what I have. And when you say, this is what I have, this is who I am, then it will become a reality to you, a reality to you. But like I said, Brother Hagen recommended that when we uh, find these scriptures and we underline them and we should write them down and then we should meditate on them, make a confession of it and begin to say it with your mouth. You should have seen our house at one time when we first come into the faith movement and we still do it to a certain extent, especially my wife. She, she used these note, notepads, these little stick em notes. And uh, we would stick them things all over with a scripture on it or something we were believing God for and I remember one time we agreed together that we would not make a major purchase until we prayed about it for 30 days. And so we would take that uh, purchase and we would put it in writing on that notepad and then we'd stick it to the refrigerator, stick it on the bathroom mirror. And every time we seen it, we would pray about it. We'd say, God, is this time for us to get this car? Is this the car that you want us to buy? And, and uh, we would pray about that for 30 days. And if we still felt like we needed that car after 30 days, we would go ahead and purchase it. But I'm telling you, a lot of times after 30 days of praying, you realize, what was I thinking? I don't need a new car. There's nothing wrong with the old one or a, whatever it is, a new piece of furniture or anything, a tool, dads. 
But uh, if you do that, you'll realize at the end of 30 days that, hey, I could have made a big mistake here. But because I was patient, I waited 30 days, it didn't. But we would put confessions on these notepads, these little note, stick them notes. And we'd stick them all over. And every time uh, we went to the bathroom and looked in the mirror, we'd quote that scripture. Every time we opened the refrigerator, we'd quote that scripture. Every time we got in the car, it was on the dashboard, we'd quote that scripture. And, and we would meditate on that, and that thing would get inside of us, and it would eventually become a reality to us. And, I mean, it would just click. It would, You know, we're believing it. We've been confessing it, and now all of a sudden it's, hey, it's mine. I've got it. And so this is what we're trying to do with the confession and the believing in our heart. This is how we, we move in faith, and we live, live our lives by faith. And we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. But uh, the confession... Being born again and becoming a child of God is the first confession that we have to have. That's a great confession. That's, that's the one that makes all the other ones available to us. It's the key that unlocks God's provision and all his promises to us. You know, there's only one word in the Bible for a sinner or somebody that's not born again, and that word is repent. But I'm telling you, if you'll do that one word, if you'll repent, and make Jesus Lord of your life, then everything else in the Bible, all the promises and all the benefits become yours just by repenting and making Jesus Lord of your life. But the confession changes our lordship. See, there's only two lords in this world, uh, God and the devil. And if we're not serving Christ, we're serving the devil. And I know we say, oh, no, I'd never serve the devil. But I'm going to tell you what, he's either your, God's either your master or you're serving the devil, one or the other. Can't do both. Uh, but the confession changes our lordship, first of all. We, we leave the lordship of the devil and we enter into the kingdom of God and we make Jesus Lord. Our lordship changes. And it defines our position. The confession of the Lordship of Jesus immediately puts us under the care, under the protection, and under the provision of the Lord Jesus Christ. He actually becomes our shepherd. He's referred to in the Bible as the great shepherd and, and the good shepherd. John uh, ten fourteen, he says, I am the good shepherd. So that tells me there's other shepherds, but they're not good shepherds. In uh, the 23rd Psalm, now belongs to us as well. And it's my favorite psalm. And, and, and when you begin to read it, the very first verse, it starts off with a bang. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Some translations say, I do not want. I mean, that's a revelation in itself. You talk about confessions, you could say, I shall not want for ability. I shall not want for strength. I shall not want for money. I shall not want for joy. I shall not want for peace. Uh, I shall not want. I shall not want. I shall not want. I mean, that's a good confession. Whatever it is that you don't want to do without, you say, I shall not want for whatever it is. And you begin to confess that and you, you keep it in your heart. And then the reason that uh, you shall not want is because the Lord is your shepherd. You made him your shepherd. And I even wrote my own, my own version of this, and I confess it during my prayer time. It's right in my list of prayers in the morning. And uh, don't call me a heretic or anything like that. This is just my personal translation of it. Uh, it. It helps me to be able to quote it and memorize it myself. But I call it the BNR translation. 
Uh, that's short for the Brunzo Nearly Reverse Translation. But it goes like this. Lord, you are my shepherd. And because you are, I shall not want in any area of my life. You cause me to rest because you lead me to place places of great provision and peace. You bring restoration to my spirit, soul, mind, and body. You teach me and enable me to do what is right so I can uphold your name. And even though I walk through dark places at time, I never have to fear any evil because I know that you are always with me to protect me and guide me. You prepare a table before me with everything I need and you do it even in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed me with your power and ability and I have exceedingly abundantly more than I need. I know beyond any shadow of doubt that goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And one day I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. So you see, that's that's my version of it. It's just a little more, I don't know, Englishized or whatever. But uh, it's not too far off from the original script. And uh, it helps me. And like I said, I quote it every, every time I pray. I quote that passage of scripture, that the Psalms 23. But the whole psalm itself is a good confession to do on a daily basis. And uh, like I said, it starts off with, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What, what better confession can you have? You know, because Jesus is my shepherd, there is nothing that I will ever lack. I will not want for anything. But let's look at some examples of in him, in whom type scriptures. In Acts chapter 17, verse 28, it says, for in him, now see, that's the key. As soon as I see in him, I'll underline it. If I see in whom, I'll underline it or highlight it or however you want to do it. Uh, and then uh, as I read it, after I finish reading, I'll write it down. It says, for in him, we live and move and have our being. So everything I do is in him. I don't do anything outside of him. I live in him. I move in him. My very being is in him. So here's what I would confess. In him I, leave, I live and move and have my being. I mean, it, and, and it'd be like, what a, what a vast storehouse of power. In Christ, my Savior and Lord, I have life, energy, strength for the impossible tasks. So, you know, just based on for in him we live and move and have our being, you can come up with a confession like that. Now, it doesn't have to be anything fancy. You know, you could do your own translation of it. Uh, as long as you don't do injustice to the scriptures, we don't want to change the wording of the scriptures or change the meaning of the scripture. But if you can uh, change it in a way where it helps you to memorize it or helps you to uh, make it a reality in your life, there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, this is what you do. You read the passage of scripture and make a confession out of it. Make it yours and make it a reality in your life. And then in John 15... Uh, verses starts with verse five, at least the first part of verse five. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, see there's an in him, in me, in whom type scripture right there. So as soon as you see the in me, underline the scripture, highlight the scripture. Uh, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and my words abide in you or live in you, that's what the word abides means. It means take up residence. You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done for you. So here's the confession. I abide in him, I live in him. 
He's the vine. I'm the branch. Now, you know, uh, on a tree or, you know, you got a vine, you got the branches. Well, you know, everything depends on the vine. The vine is what's taking all the nutrients and everything, the water and everything that it needs out of the ground. And then it goes into the branches. But then on the ends of the branches, what happens? That's where the fruit appears. So we're connected to him. Now, if you lop that branch off, and I do it all the time with my trees on, on the property I have. Uh, if you lop that branch off, it dies. It can't abide. It can't live outside of the vine or outside of the tree trunk. So it's important that we're connected to him. He's the vine. We're the branch. And those positions never change, never change. Uh, and then so you could say his life, the life of God is in me. His nature, the love nature is in me. Why is it in you? Because it's in the vine. It goes into the branches. It's in you. Just as blood flows through your natural body, his life flows through your inner man, your spirit man, your spiritual body that's on the inside. I will let that life and love dominate me. Isn't that a good confession? And then uh, when you confess Jesus as your Lord and you're born again, that's when you come into Christ. That's when Christ comes into you. And that's the only way that you can get in him. But then Jesus said, if my words abide in you, if my words live in you, if my words take up residence in you, and, and that means that uh, it is not only living in me, but I'm doing the word, I'm practicing the word, I'm walking in the word. And, and because a lot of Christians are born again and they're in him, but his word is not abiding in them. It's not just enough to get born again. Once you're born again, like I said, you need to get into church. You need to get into the word. You need to get into prayer and fellowship. And uh, 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 apart from the vine, the branch isn't going to survive. So the word abides in me only in the measure that I actually practice it, only in the measure that I'm actually doing it. Am I a hearer of the word, but a forgetful doer? Or am I a hearer that does the word that I hear? And you know, I may memorize it, quote it, even preach it uh, without it living inside of me. But that word lives in me only to the measure that I practice it, only to the measure that I walk in it. I let that word have free course in me. It teaches me, it governs me. I let it dominate me. And these are things that you have to do voluntarily because he's not going to force them on you. Uh, you know, I let that message or the word take place in my life. And I would Christ if he were here in the flesh as well. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ. Now, there's another in Christ scripture. So as soon as you see in Christ, your antennas should come up. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So here's a confession for that. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. I'm a new creation being with the life of God now in me, with the nature of God now in me, and the ability and power of God is now in me. That's a good confession from that passage of Scripture, isn't it? See, a Christian is not renovated like an old car. He's not rebuilt. Uh, when you're born again, you become a new creature. You're not just made over. You're not refurbished. You didn't just get a new paint job. He said you have become a new creation, a new creature. 
and something which is something which never existed before. One translation actually reads that he is a new species. And so the Christian at the new birth uh, does have a, uh, doesn't have a new physical body, uh, though he, you will someday. You will have a brand new physical body, the perfect age, the perfect height, the per perfect size. You know, uh, uh, some people think I'm, I'm a little overweight, but I'm really not overweight. I'm just too short for my weight. So if I was a little bit taller, my weight would be okay. So, but anyway... Uh, I have a perfect body, perfect uh, age, everything will work properly, there'll be no sorrow, no pain, no tears, no anything. We'll have a new body someday, but we don't have it yet. But it is the man on the inside who is the new creation. It's the inner man. The old man who used to be there, he's gone. He should be gone. He should stay gone. And the inward man is the real you, the new you. You put off the nature of your old Lord, which was the devil. You put on the nature of your new Lord, which is the Father God. So the inward man, the real man, is a new creation. He takes on the very life and nature of God. And this is something that's hard for us to comprehend because we're so carnally minded and we're so natural. We're natural beings and, you know, we got to see it before we believe it type of people. But uh, faith works the opposite way. You believe it before you see it and you believe it before you, you feel it. Uh, you don't have to have evidence for it. The only evidence you need is the word of God. If God said it, it's so. You know, somebody once said that if God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Well, I say it this way. If God said it, that settles it, whether you believe it or not. But anyway, then it's a new man on the inside that will eventually, as you work on it, as you read the word, as you pray, as you fellowship with God, you become more and more like Christ. And he will eventually manifest on the outside. You know, Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Uh, when you get him on the inside of you and you submit to the word, he'll eventually show up on the outside of you and people will see Christ in you, the hope of glory. But we got to learn to let this new man on the inside dominate the outward man. And that's a difficult thing to do because we're talking about the flesh and the flesh is strong. The flesh is a formidable opponent, but we have to uh, keep feeding our spirit until our spirit is bigger and stronger than the flesh and we make the flesh dominate to the spirit and not the other way around see god is looking at that new man in christ when he looks at us he don't see you the way you are he don't see you the way you used to be on the outside uh, and when he's looking at us he sees us in christ and we look much better in christ than we do out of christ and uh, we can't see each other in christ we look at each other from the natural standpoint but God looks at us in him. When he looks at us, he sees his son in us. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ. There's another in him, in Christ, in whom scripture. So we'd be highlighting that or underlining it. And then we would confess, I am his workmanship. He made me a new creation. See, that's the whole thing. He said it. That settles it. And uh, if he says I'm, a, I'm his workmanship, then I'm his workmanship. If he said I'm a new creation, then I'm a new creation. And I might have to bring my carnal way of thinking in line with that, 
But if I keep believing it in my heart because the word said it, and I keep confessing it with my mouth, it will eventually become a reality to me, and I'll start acting like I'm his workmanship. I'll start acting like I'm the new creation that he made me. You know, Kenneth E. Hagen's son, Kenneth W. Hagen, I know they're both Kenneth Hagen's, but they're not senior and junior. Uh, Dad Hagen had the uh, middle initial of E, and Kenneth's middle initial is W. So when we talk about Kenneth W. Hagen, that's the pastor of Rhema Bible Church and uh, Rhema, Rhema Bible College. He's the head of Rhema Bible College and Rhema's worldwide ministry. Well, he wrote an article, and uh, as a matter of fact, I read it today as I was researching this, and it's called Our Identity in Christ, and it's somewhat along these same lines right here. I'm not going to make 30 minutes tonight, sorry. <laughs> But anyway, he said one of the most important revelations that we can get from the Word of God is to understand who we are in Christ. That's one of the most important revelations. Identifying with Christ will change the way we live and cause us to rise up above adversity. Not understanding our identity in Him will keep us living far below our rights and privileges in Christ. So what does it mean to identify with Christ? It's normal for us to identify with something or someone. That's one of the, re the reasons that gangs are so popular because some uh, children have been rejected by their parents, rejected by their teachers, rejected in, uh, at home, but they find solitude in a gang on the street because they're accepted. And so they begin to identify with that gang and it, and it makes them feel connected and it gives them a feeling of belonging. And we all need that feeling. Thank God for the church. I mean, uh, that's where that's where my wife and I and my family feel connected is with the church. That's our that's our family. The church is, and so uh, in addition to our regular family. But you know, uh, it's something that we can identify with. And and uh, uh, Brother Hagen is so right because everyone identifies with someone or something, especially nowadays. And one term that's used quite a bit today is identity politics and identity politics is a term that describes a political approach where people identify with a movement because it supports their race their religion their social or economic background their class or any other number of identifying factors and they may not even agree with the movement's core beliefs they may not even agree with the policies or ideologies or some of the things they they're doing but they go along because there's something about that group that they identify with. And again, it could be because of race, religion, economic uh, stature, uh, background, or whatever appeal to them. Now, my personal identity as a Christian is in Christ. Every Christian should have an identity in Christ. I associate with the political party that identifies with him the closest. There's no perfect political party out there. There's no perfect politicians out there. But I identify with the word of God and support the party that follows the word as closely as possible. I believe as Christians, we need to be careful who or what we're supporting. We need to know who we're supporting, why we're supporting them. And I just can't identify with a party or a candidate that's opposed to Christ or the word of God. I can't support any cause that defies the laws of God because I know God will hold me accountable for that. Pastor Hagen then went on to say, that's just my personal 
rant, my, my soapbox. But anyway, Pastor Hagen went on to say, in our everyday lives, we identify with a person, an organization, or an occup occupation, a nationality, or even a church. And, uh, you know, we always used to say this. We want, when people come to our church, you know, we want to change their language from I go to that church down the street to I go to my church, you know, and, and it's all about beginning to identify with an organization or identify with the church. We don't want it to be that church. We want it to be your church. And so uh, we have to have an identity in the spiritual realm as well. The scriptures say we have been crucified with Christ in Galatians 2.20. We have been crucified with Christ. Again, that's something that's hard to imagine with our carnal way of thinking. But not only did we die with him on the cross at Calvary, we've also been raised with him. When he went to the cross, we were, we were in him. We, uh, when he went to the grave, we were in him. When he, went, when he was resurrected, we were in him. When he went to heaven, we were in him. And that's why we're seated in heavenly places with Christ. But uh, this is what we call real identity. Christ identifies with us. He loves us so much he identifies with us. And we identify with him. Ephesians 2, 4, and 7 shows us this. Or 2, 4 through 7. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, in him, with him, in whom, by grace you have been saved and raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So according to this passage of scripture, uh, like I said, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. And unfortunately, some Christians are having an identity crisis. They don't know who they are in Christ or where they're seated. Instead of identifying with Christ, they identify with the problems that confront them. And you can tell they do this because they call themselves by their problems. You know, I'm divorced, I'm bankrupt, I'm sick, I'm this, I'm that. All negative confessions. But, you know, the Bible says you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and you make that thing a reality. So that's why we got to be so careful, first of all, what we believe, and second of all, what we're confessing, because we'll make them a reality, good or bad. Some identify with a profession. They say things like, I'm a salesman, I'm a lawyer, I'm a truck driver, I'm a carpenter. But their profession is really not who they are, it's what they do but they get confused. They have an identity crisis because they begin to believe that that's who they are. That's their lot in life. But uh, uh, those professions are just what you're doing. Uh, others identify with the disease that's attacking their body. And uh, they begin to confess things like, I'm a, di I'm a di diabetic. I'm addicted. I'm bipolar. I'm this. I'm that. You know, first of all, it's a bad confession. You know, you don't want to believe that you are, first of all, and you certainly don't want to confess it because you're inviting that thing to stay and you're inviting it to become a reality in your life. You know, uh, I'm not saying you deny your diseases or you deny being sick, but you say, uh, I'm, I'm sick right now, but I'm on the mend. I'm getting better by the minute. I'll be better tomorrow and better the next day. And, and by the end of the week, I'm going to be whole, you know, and you turn that bad confession into a good confession. And when we really understand our identity in Christ, 
who we are in him, it changes the way we live, it changes the way we think, it changes the way we speak, it changes the way we live, it changes everything about us. Uh, remember, it said, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. That old nature has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And that uh, when someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He's not the same anymore. A brand new life has begun. So before we were in Christ, we were destined for death and destruction. Now we're destined for eternal life. Before Christ, we were destined for despair, degradation, poverty. But in Christ, we're destined to have life and that more abundantly. In Christ is where our identity should be. It's in Jesus that we are somebody. Did you ever notice in the scriptures that God often changed people's identities? And he does it for a reason. They looked at themselves one way, but God told them who they really were. Uh, this is what happened to Gideon. He was so terrified of the Midianites, the enemy armies that were coming against them, that he hid inside a wine press to thresh his wheat. He believed the Midianites would take what little he had and if they saw him threshing the grain. But one day the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon. Now, I'm, I personally believe this is Jesus Christ. Usually he's referred to as the angel of the Lord. And he appears to Gideon and he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And so uh, Gideon was acting like anything but a mighty warrior. However, when he finally saw himself the way that God saw him, he went on to deliver the Israelites. Why? Because he seen himself the way God sees him, and God sees you the way that you really are. So God calls those things to be not as though they were. In the, uh, so in the natural realm, what God is calling us may not exist at the time, but in his eyes, it does. And so we need to talk about ourselves the same way that God talks about you, the same way that God sees you. We need to see ourselves. So what God says about us is found in his word, and that's why we have to spend time in the word. We not only find out who he is and what he's done, but we find out who we are and what we're supposed to do. You know, Jesus got his calling from the word of God. He was here as a man, and he's seen his calling in the scriptures, primarily in the book of Isaiah, where Isaiah prophesied his coming, how he would come, what he would do, what he would accomplish. It even prophesied him being whipped at that whipping post, prophesied him being crucified, buried, and rose from the dead. He's seen all of that, and he said, that's me. I identify with that. He found his calling in the, in the Bible, and you'll find your calling there too. But we're new creatures in Christ. We're the righteousness of God in Christ. We've been healed in Christ. We've been made rich in Christ. We are the accepted in Christ, and we're free from sin in Christ. Isn't it much better to be in Christ than to be out of him? So it's time for us to stand up and be who God says we are, not who anybody else says we are, not who we think we are. Get in the word and find out who God says you are and then become that person. And we need to let the devil know that we know who we are in Christ because that terrifies him more than anything else is when a believer comes to find out who he is and what his anointing is and what his power is in Christ. And then when he tries to attack us, we can throw our shoulders back and say, don't mess with me. I'm identified in Christ. I got a big brother and he's looking for you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We give you glory. Thank you for the word tonight, Lord. 
Thank you for the way you show us who we are in you and in your son. Help us to make these things a reality to us as we read them, as we meditate on them, Lord. Let us come to the place where we realize that we are who you say we are, not who any, not who anybody else says that we are, but who you say that we are. And we begin to not only realize that, but we begin to act like we are who we are in Christ. So we thank you and praise you for it. God, I ask you to touch my brothers and sisters out there. Heal their broken bodies, Lord. Give peace to their minds. Heal their emotions. Touch them in their spirit realm, Lord. Raise them up and strengthen them in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, God bless you. It was good having you with us tonight. I hope you got something out of this teaching. Uh, we'll see you again Sunday. Uh, Lord willing, I'll be continuing my series on the end times and preparing for the end times. And we're going to start looking at some signs and signals uh, to show us that we're close to the return of the Lord. We'll see you Sunday. God bless you. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.